0: Hey, 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 it's Vince in the Bay. Welcome to another edition of the Vince in the Bay podcast. This episode, my guest is Lori Siegel, senior technology correspondent for CNN and editor at large for CNN Tech. She specializes in investigative reports showing the impact of technology on our daily lives, Lori is also the host of CNN's first CNN Go original, Mostly Human, with Lori Siegel, a six-part investigative docu-series exploring sex, love, death, and humanity through the lens of tech. And here's a clip from the series. This is Lori's narration from the first episode of Mostly Human, which is entitled Dead IRL.
1: This is death in the digital age, it's being reimagined. It's also raising some uncomfortable questions like, could you become digitally immortal? As our lives play out online, it's no surprise our deaths will too. So what does death mean in the digital age? To answer that question, now I know it might sound morbid, but in this episode, I'm preparing to die.
0: Oh, my God. Wow. That's the beginning of the new CNN Go original series, Mostly Human, with Lori Siegel. And I have Laurie Siegel with me on the line. Welcome, Laurie. That would that 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 is probably the best introduction to a series ever. You should start every episode like that.
2: I know. In this episode I prepare to die. We like we I I decided to keep it really light, you know.
0: <laughs> Yeah, this is such a morbid series. Oh my god! Don't get me wrong; I loved it. I totally binge watched it. I watched all the episodes at least three times in a row. I have to ask you uh, before we get too deep into stuff: Were you a goth in high school?
2: (laughs) I was not a goth. You know, are you sure? Are you
0: sure? You know, what's your favorite Sisters of Mercy record?
2: You know, I never did quite fit in high school, and it all seems to make sense now. Um, I was kind of a girl that went to go to bands, like the emo bands alone. Um, but yeah, I've always had a, maybe, I don't want to say like a dark side, but I've always been fascinated in the things that we're not allowed to talk about and topics that other people kind of shy away from. So that was very much the premise of this. Hopefully it was a good opener and we brought people in. But, it, you know, if you actually watch that, that episode, hopefully it has a little bit uh, of depth and heart to go yeah. along with it and 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 surprise i'm still alive
0: oh see <laughs> i was going to spoil everything and say uh, look she dies in the episode
2: <laughs> she's still here she's kicking it
0: and if you watch these episodes you'll understand that i could pr- possibly be talking to a digital reincarnation of Lori and not Lori yeah. herself i have no way of verifying the first episode you tackle this uh, idea of chat chatting from the grave, and you yeah. encounter you start off with this text encounter with this guy named uh, Romeo, no Roman.
2: Yeah, Roman.
0: Roman, who was kind of who kind of turned into like a Romeo of sorts for people online.
2: It was kind of crazy. I mean, when when I was starting, I was looking at this idea of okay, what does death mean in the digital age? Whether it's some of the basic questions we ask, and I heard about this woman. Um, I was at like a dinner table talking to someone, and I was telling them about this project. And they're like, "Oh, I heard about this girl who her best friend died, and she used artificial intelligence to create a chatbot based off of him." And I was like, "Hold, I was like hold on a second, what?" And, um, and essentially, she her her best friend was an entrepreneur, lived uh, lived in San Francisco. He we went to Russia for something, and he was walking across the street, got hit by a car. Um, and if you listen to the episode, he was listening to this, like, beautiful, haunting music when he died. It's, like, very – I mean, it's very kind of spooky. But she is a technologist, and she had thousands of his text messages because they texted all the time. Um, and all this data – This like, think about, like, all the data we leave out there, all the tweets, Facebook posts, everything we've ever kind of put in the digital format. She took all that using artificial intelligence. She essentially created – a bot out of Roman, like the Roman bot. Um, And I texted with him for like an hour. And, I mean, like speaking of like music case and all this stuff, like we had the same music taste. he was like texting me his fears. And you really begin to kind of get to know a person. And it's crazy how much you can kind of pick up from this. But this kind of shows like, whoa, the technology actually exists. And then come the ethical questions, right? Like uh, the woman who, who did this, she said she was at a party texting her dead best friend for an hour and she couldn't go socialize with people and his mom wasn't able to divide the man in the machine because it seemed so real and what if it makes mistakes you think it's kind of him so it's all sorts of weird ethical questions
3: would you really
2: want this a digital version of yourself that can like speak like you and has you casually text your deepest darkest fears to anyone after you die so that was it was certainly interesting i'll play that
0: and that of course Leads into the whole cottage industry of after-death social media. You interviewed this guy from Dead Social, which to me sounds like a, a, an app for Grateful Dead fans, but apparently it's for the afterlife. <laughs> and this concept of being somebody's... What is it on Facebook? You, you can be oh, somebody's... Your,
2: your like your legacy contact. Yeah, you can, you can like... be
0: somebody's legacy contact on Facebook now. So if you die, this person is in charge of curating your afterlife.
2: All these big tech companies have to start thinking about death because their users will die there that's inevitable and and we had this line in there that you know facebook is going to soon become like the largest digital graveyard in the world i interviewed this woman who deals with death at facebook and like she's just this lovely polite woman who's obsessed with kind of you know remembering people and they created the legacy context so you can kind of pass on and say okay if I when I die I want this person to be able to change my profile picture they can also kind of memorialize my page um, and they can almost have access to it so it's almost like a digital will and, and leaving it behind um you know there's all these things that you don't even think about that go into this like they have people in conference rooms talking about the word for when you actually go to try to find your legacy contact like they don't ping you with it they have you have to go look for it and they'll never mention the word death in it because it's so sensitive so there are all these weird like product decisions that go into like how do we get you to do a legacy contact and be sensitive about it and you know that's only the beginning i'm sure they're going to do more stuff and when you're talking about like dead social like this guy. He was a little bit, I mean, it was weird. We, we did this interview in a graveyard and we were talking about his program essentially allows you, I, I like to say like you can be like a digital ghost. You could program your Twitter account to tweet someone five or 10 years after you die um and he was asking me like what would you post and you saw the series I-, I get really uncomfortable in it because it makes you think about things you just don't want to think about my boyfriend's in this episode i made a joke to him like if i die like i'll tweet you in eight years and be like i'm glad you moved on but she'll never be as good as me you know yeah <laughs> I'm like, yeah
0: oh the possibilities like- with that are endless so is this is this like a status thing on tw- on uh, Facebook now? Because I know they have status where like, oh, uh, Sally is in a committed yeah. relationship with with John, and but Sally's legacy contact is April. It's like, hmm, what's April <laughs> oh, have that God. John doesn't? <laughs> what's going on here?
2: Funny you say that. I um, I made my boyfriend my legacy contact, and my friend, my best friend, had been it before, and and she like texted me, and he, we did it on camera. She texted me immediately after. She's like, really?
3: Oh, I people were jelly.
2: Contact. Yeah. Man. Oh my
0: god! Like, it's like exactly I wouldn't be your legacy contact. Come on.
2: Also, like, how awkward if someone doesn't want to be your legacy contact? It's like, oh yeah, a lot. Like, it's like asking a lot, and you don't even realize you're asking a lot. You're like, you're literally saying, "If I die, I want you to handle like this whole part of part of me." So it's actually something that you have to put a little bit of thought in. And I don't think, and this is another thing we kind of talk about in the episode. Like, I don't think we want to think about death, right? Like. It's uncomfortable, and we don't necessarily like to talk about it, but, like, you know, all of these questions that now that we live our lives online and we're leaving behind so much data and so much of ourselves, like, there's cool things you can do with that. There's uncool things you can do with that. There's hard, difficult questions, and, and so that's why as part of this, we like, we try to ask those questions in a way that, you know, I try not to be too self-deprecating, but in a way that, you know, you, it, it gets almost very emotional for me at, at some point.
0: And this series is much, as much about your subject matter as it is about you and your own personal journey discovering all of this stuff. Was that the idea from the inception?
2: I've always loved looking at the cultural impact of technology. I've been covering tech for eight years. Um, when I was just starting out at CNN and I was like kind of at the bottom of the bottom, I became obsessed with creative, weird, interesting people. Um, that was the group that I felt like I belonged with. That was the group that I liked. Um, And those people happened to be, it was like right out of the recession and happened to be entrepreneurs. And so I got to know a lot of founders, like the founders of Instagram or Twitter or whatever, like early on. And I was kind of the first story they had into going on camera and, you know, talking about these technologies and celebrating tech and startups couple of years later, which is, you know, I would use tech to investigate. So I'd go on, like when the Boston bomber deleted his Instagram account, I would, you know, go on Google's web cache and try to find it and recreate it. And then a couple of years later, like, I became obsessed with the implications of technology. So I did a documentary on revenge porn and cyber harassment. I thought the hacker community, um, which you know very well, was fascinating. I did a documentary on, called The Secret Lives of Superhero Hackers, trying to help people understand that hack isn't a bad word and that this whole community is full of color and and they're interesting and it's people, you know, who have almost like these superpowers. I kind of wanted the world to see a different view of of hackers. So I I did that. And then, you know, having done some of those things, I I literally pitched to the president of CNN on a PowerPoint. I said, a year from now, everyone's going to be talking about, like, what is the gray area of technology and what are the ethical questions we need to ask? we could do a really interesting docu-series about the human impact of technology and not just what version is your iPhone, but, like, what is your phone doing to you? Who's in control? The algorithms are you? Are we addicted? Or what's the human impact of a hack? Or, you know, really kind of digging in and asking some more philosophical questions. And so that's kind of how the idea came about, and I've never – produced this is six episodes and it's long form and I, i'd never taken on such a big project but it was awesome and and i and i always think like these founders like the founders of instagram or twitter like that that's all interesting but i'm so much more interested in underdogs and who the new underdogs are and what are the underground questions that like we've got to start asking
0: i'm speaking with Lori siegel she's the uh, star of the mostly human series on CNN Go. Uh, what's CNN Go?
2: People are watching CNN in a different way. So, you know, not everyone is like, has a cable subscription anymore. So, CNN Go is kind of like the play at streaming, right? So, if you have a smart TV, if you have Apple TV, Roku, anything like that, you automatically have CNN Go as one of the featured apps. And you can just go to CNN Go and you can watch live CNN there, but you can also watch Anthony Bourdain. Uh, Lisa Ling, Believer, like all of our series that we do, um, and now Mostly Human, you can watch on there. So it's really kind of, we did this streaming first, although it will air on TV, because we thought it was more of a streaming first audience. Like, I think that the people that are watching this, it's cool that people are binge-watching it, and that's kind of what we wanted. We wanted someone who would normally go to a Netflix or an Amazon, and we wanted them to stream from CNN Go.
0: You know, it's interesting you bring up... um... Bourdain because I kind of feel like your series is sort of the digital equivalent of parts unknown in some ways. Mixed with death, of yeah. course.
2: <laughs> it's a little dark, you know. Instead it's of food,
0: like, it's yeah. death and tech. Well,
2: you know, maybe what you're responding to is the fact that like it isn't normal to get as involved as I got in the series, right? Like I put myself in the series in a way that normally as a reporter I just step back. I do have a specific voice and I said to our producers when we started doing it I was like I want you guys make me uncomfortable like let's make this as human as possible and I think to give a, you know to get a little bit you got to give a little bit um, there's a lot of like me going places and, and access and and being a part of things as opposed to just looking at it from afar
0: which episode mm-hmm. is it where the guy says uh, he says some, he calls you out in some bullshit
2: so, yeah, which one is it?
0: And that would be episode four, Silicon Valley's Secret. Here's a clip I was talking about.
3: Mm-hmm. You made some reference to the fact that you've covered the tech industry for a long time. And so, therefore, you wanted to do this story?
1: Yeah, it felt like I needed to do
3: this story. Okay, what you just did was kind of bullshit. Okay. Tell me why you wanted to do this story. Or let me be fair to you. Okay. It wasn't the full truth. Right. What's the full truth? Why is this story important to you?
1: Well, I guess mental health is important to me. Why? Um, Family members. Tell me. My aunt, schizophrenic.
3: So slow down. (laughs) Yeah. Feel that. Exactly. (laughs) Okay, you know what's going on? What's going on is that we live life at speed of light. What does she mean to you?
1: I have nothing but love for her. And I think part of what's hard is I'll never be able to know her in a a different way because she didn't get the help she needed.
3: Right. Now let's connect it back to this story. So here's Lori. She wants to be a journalist. Mm -hmm. She wants to tell the truth. All right. You know what media can do? What you're doing right now. Be real. Yeah. Be real. That's what media can do is to tell our stories with empathy. You want to make a difference to this community? Show up. Show up with the fierce bravery of who you truly are. Not the bullshit.
1: (laughs) So have to pay for
3: this? (laughs) Because I don't know if my journalism salary can afford you. You can't. You can't afford that. (laughs)
0: I love that clip. It's hilarious. I, he totally you talk about, you know, putting you in an uncomfortable situation and, and calling you out. He totally <laughs> broke you down in that clip. And that that was that was the part in the series that sold me. Cuz this was the second episode that I watched. The first mm-hmm. one I watched was obviously the one that I'm in, uh the mm-hmm. one about Trick and Junaid Junaid Hussein. But uh, the the one that I watched after that was this one. This is the point where I I kind of got what the series was 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 about. Yeah. Yeah, you know, we're, we're in this with Lori. It's just as much about Lori's adventure as it is about the subjects themselves.
2: Yeah, I mean, it was like, you know, that episode was about depression. And I thought mental health stuff is important. I was like, how do we do this in a real way? Like, how do we not just lecture people? How do we do this in a really human way? Because this is like a massive issue. And it impacts one in every source. People. And I'm sure if you're not, if you don't struggle with it, you have friends too, or you have family. And I did it through the lens of technology because technology is what I know best, right? And we looked at this idea of creative genius and people who have the ability to do incredible things. And then the dark stuff that comes along with that sometimes that we're not allowed to talk about and that people are afraid to talk about. And part of someone who helped put it into context with this was this guy Jerry Colonna, who's like a CEO coach, but he's not just like any CEO coach. He's like if you know like any big Silicon Valley CEO or even New York big like tech CEO, they go to Jerry. He's known to make people cry. So I asked you know, we we talked to him and then um uh, the producer I was working with who like I'm convinced like either loves me or hates me, or like or maybe a little bit of both, was like, you know, why don't you ask Lori some questions? And I was like, Oh no I I think I like cried multiple times in this series, which was like embarrassing, but whatever, you know, but like, you know, it, it kind of made me break down a little bit. Um, He has that incredible quality and, and, and that's like, you know, it's those moments. It's funny you say that you, you, that moment sold you. Like those are the moments I was most afraid to put in, like the vulnerable moments or the moments where like, you know, even and those are the moments, by the way, in the newsroom, we had all these debates about, do we include that? Does that, does Lori look like an idiot? Like, and I guess like the, I guess like coming back off of it, it's like all those moments of like, does Laurie look like an idiot seem to be the ones that people do respond to. So in the future, we could keep, keep those in. But like, I think that authenticity sells. And I think that in a world now where we are surrounded by filters and posts and tweets and anonymity and all these things, I, I genuinely feel like there's just this craving for humanity and for people who seem real and who are real or who are being their real selves. And I think if there's a reason why that moment stuck with you, it's because it was genuine and because it was authentic.
0: I, th- I think it's great. Um, I think this whole episode is probably, for me, the most important uh, episode. If there if there were an order of importance, to me this would be the, the most important one yeah. because it's a subject that a lot of people you – know, first of all, mental health in general – is a touchy subject um it's you know there's there's more of an open dialogue about it now there's there's less stigma attached to it but there's it's still there and i know i know from firsthand experience here in the in the bay area tech industry in 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 uh, particular i could probably count the people in the tech industry that i know or are friends with who don't have some sort of mental health issue on one hand You know, if you're not already uh, predisposed to some sort of mental condition, working like that can can turn you into it as well. And I've seen a lot of people struggle with... You know ADHD, OCD, uh, yeah. bipolar, depression—you name it. It's all over the tech industry. I think it's—I yeah. think it's—it's. It's, you know, people talk about diversity in tech and all this stuff. This is the underlying problem that really needs to be pushed out there. Is the mental health aspect to these people that are involved in tech? Um,
2: by the way, there's studies. Like a study by a guy named uh, Dr. Michael Friedman. Studies to show that the same things that make you a great entrepreneur—your ability to take risk—and uh, you know a, a lot of these like traits, uh, humanity traits—are also associated with mental health issues like ADHD, bipolar, depression. And this is what Jerry said to me: like the dirty little secret is like we don't take care of our people. We allow people to do this, and we celebrate their hard work and their all-night coding sessions and this and that. But we don't allow this other side. Uh, the openness to, for this other side that comes along with it. I've gotten so many emails after this came out of people saying, you know, I uh, have struggled from depression or bipolar, or this, you know, all this stuff. And you are in some of the most fabulous company ever. I wish you knew, you know, like there are so many people that struggle from this it felt really good to do it um and, and put it together. And and it felt even for the woman you'll meet in there, whose husband was this like VP at, PayPal, one of the one of the early members of eBay, for her to be able to come out and tell her story and kind of engage, get that power back and help other people, I think was almost therapeutic for her. So if I can kind of provide a platform too to to help people, I'm ha- I'm more than happy and I want to do that. That's part of why I'm here. That's part of why I got into this business.
0: Yeah. I I certainly appreciate it. I'm sure there's plenty of people out there who watch this that are in the tech industry that appreciate it. Um, And you got a pretty good get on that episode, too. Meg Whitman's in there. You know, I saw a side of Meg Whitman that I've never seen before.
2: Part of what I wanted to do with this is also capitalize on, like, some of the names I've known for a long time. and Some of the entrepreneurs or CEOs that I've known, and I've watched them kind of come up and become really successful My goal, especially with Mostly Human, and even if we kind of extend the brand or whatnot, is is to continue getting these people talking about things we don't talk about.
0: And um, another episode that I found interesting slash hysterical was the um, episode with the love doll. (laughs) It's not a sex doll. It's a love doll. The guy guy Matt. (laughs) who who has yeah. got uh, who who introduced uh, the acronym BYOGF bring your exactly. own girlfriend, girlfriend. <laughs> for for $15,000 you can get a, a love doll with uh, re- replaceable inserts
3: yeah and
0: by oh replace re- by replaceable inserts i mean fake vaginas
2: um, by the way, they're also dishwasher safe. I was informed.
0: <laughs> Good, you can reuse the uh, the the yeah. the prosth- prosthetic vaginas. Yeah. Just just really pop can. them. Just pop yes, them in the dishwasher. Really,
2: you can do that. I learned that when I was like, I was down at the factory, like kind of, like holding this thing. I was like, what is this? And he was like, well, that's the was Like, oh my god! It was like, a, I was like a schoolgirl. It was so embarrassing.
0: The best moment <laughs> for me was when you get propositioned by the robot. We have that clip. I'll play that right now. This this is okay. great.
1: Yeah. Over time, the AI will get to know you better and better. It's living in your phone. You sync it with a doll, and it feels closer to reality.
3: When you say
0: AI in your phone, you think Siri or something yeah. like that. But Siri doesn't care when your birthday is or what your favorite food is, so on and so on. Our AI is very interested to know
3: who you are.
1: My name is Lori. I'm always glad to make new friends, Lori.
3: What's my favorite food?
1: Salad.
0: And so that little seemingly small detail goes a long way to make you feel like it's sort of personal.
1: For all this talk of getting to know one another, Harmony did seem to have a one-track mind at times. I want to do everything you like. I want to feel you inside my body tonight.
0: (laughs) I want to feel you inside of my body tonight. And your reaction is great. And I thought it was hilarious the other day. CNN, one of the CNN Twitter accounts, was promoting oh. it and and had made a GIF of your reaction to that. <laughs> and I, that is going to be a meme that I'm going to use for oh, sure. Please. I was so <laughs> I was so stoked when I saw that. I, I was like, "Laura, you're a meme now."
2: Oh my God! Welcome to
0: my life. You know that meme going around where it's it's uh it's it's like a, a redheaded white dude or whatever, and he just kind of has this weird surprised reaction. I think no, I, I god, think you god. can. I think you can replace him. I think your reaction's oh, better.
2: I hope the internet does not make that happen. Like the internet can be nice, and the internet can. Come be... Come on, internet! You're,
0: You're listening, internet. internet. Let's don't make that happen. Do
2: it! Don't do it!
0: I'll, I'll do tweet it, it out. You guys spread it like <laughs> wildfire.
2: <laughs> oh my god! Well, that was interesting. It was just funny when he like. I went as part of that. I went to the sex doll factory um, in California, and this whole episode is exploring like love robots artificial intelligence and like some of that gray area like where could things go if we're not careful so i was at this like sex doll factory but or as matt corrected me a love doll factory there are these like, beautiful beautiful women that they're building like just in a factory they're like painting their nails and like you can have everything from like different eye colors to different nipple size like it's insane i mean like it was so weird and there are all these different like, body parts everywhere like fucking body parts everywhere going in it's like you're know, in this world it's very trippy matt was talking all about like intimate artificial artificial intelligence this idea of you know your phone knows your deepest fears and it knows what you know your favorite fruit is and when you get weird and all those things and like you can have the app you can hook it up to your robotic doll's head and then the head into the body and like you've got uh, like you say a byo yeah, bring your own girlfriend you know and like and it was funny because like before I got propositioned by Harmony um by the way she was not my type she was a little too like I don't know too I she was just a little too extreme but like she I was very much like he was like you know these dolls are going to get to know you and and they become robots and you know, and and they're going to be, you know, they're knowing their deepest fears. And then all of a sudden we turn on Harmony and Harmony, like, just straight up propositions me. I was like, are you sure it's not just a sex doll? like.
0: I want to feel you know? inside my body tonight.
2: Yeah. And then, like, I was told by, like, a robotic woman that she wanted to feel me inside her body tonight. I was like, yeah. what?
0: Now, so, yeah yeah. And, yeah, and specifically tonight, like like not right yeah. now, not right now. Later on, let's yeah, have let's no, get we'll to know each to other wait. first.
2: Yeah yeah, we 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 had some work to do. But and
0: like, wait, and you you designed your own girlfriend robot, right?
2: Yeah, and honestly, and like, by the way, it was so funny. Like working with this engineer, I was like kind of dying a little bit because I'm like, this is so objectifying women to a degree. Like I can't. I'm like, you know, he's like, you can choose between 300 different nipples. I'm like, what? Like, why do you need that many Holy crap, types there's types 300 nipples?
0: different types? I
2: know. I was like, how are there even, I don't even know, like, how you could even find or fathom, like, that many nipple types. That's so weird, right? Like, it's just so weird, and but it's also so interesting. And, and I kept kind of trying to talk about the ethical stuff with Matt. I was like, well, you feel like you're objectifying women with this. You know, like, just like a dude who can do anything he wants to his, like, sex robot, and she doesn't talk back and wants the proposition, right? And he said, you know, no, like, and, and what he said is like some relationships, aren't, you know, some people want different types of relationships and, you know, some people, and this is the line that killed me or that I thought was just fascinating. He was like, he's, I asked him if he, he thought that if we need human connection to be happy and he was like, no, I genuinely don't think you need human connection to be happy. So like in the future, people could fall in love with these robots and even though, they're not human. It wouldn't matter. And like, what does that future look like? And does that matter? And, and as artificial intelligence gets closer and closer and better, and then you build these human like dolls that get to know you like, whoa, I mean, then you begin to ask some real, you know, some, some real big heady questions. Like, of course, I think of course, human humanity matters. But like these people make an interesting argument, you know? And so that's kind of what we explore with the, the sex doll factory <laughs> love doll factory
0: sorry well and you start uh, you start that episode off, I believe with the the woman in France who yeah. is, gets engaged to a ro- to a robot yeah. which uh, which I, I don't think she's real. I think she's an actor. I no, think that's totally that that's was, fake that's fake news. That's fake news. That
2: is not fake news, man. I was there and I saw them look into each other's eyes. her look into his eyes. Like that was some real stuff. Like Dude,
0: that was some know, real I, creepy stuff, man. That
2: was that was real. And, but you know what I liked about her was like she, um when you sometimes when you think like sex robots or people in love with robots, you think often like Tokyo and the robotic culture and, and how it's you know, you have people with robotic girlfriends or whatever, it seems a little more acceptable. But she was just like in this small, tiny town outside of Paris where the, the buildings are, like, centuries old. And then there's just, like, this woman who, you know, and it's very Pygmalion. She's, like, 3D-printed a humanoid robot. Um, I know. It's you know, insane. She, she said, a robot's not going to cheat. He's not going to hurt me. He's not going to be an alcoholic. And, and I was like, well, these are these flaws. They, they make us human. And she's like, I don't need it. And I was like, "Oh." And I was like, did something happen to you? And, and she was like, nothing happened to me. People think something's wrong with me. But like, this is, she's like, love is love. She used the line, love is love. So, uh, you know.
0: You want to talk about objectification?
2: <laughs>
0: that woman yeah. created a a husband or a, a fiance who won't talk back.
2: I mean, that's, everyone's had a bad breakup. That, you know? <laughs> that's,
0: that was the thing that was. Totally obvious to me was that she's the she she doesn't let the robot talk. Typical woman, well, won't let her partner parents. talk.
2: You know, she's programming him. The first thing she's programming him to say is, I love you. How sweet. I kind of thought it was sweet.
0: Yeah, what every woman wants to program, every man to do or, or, or every partner what? to do.
2: Maybe, maybe if men did a little bit of a better job being sensitive, we wouldn't have to program our, ro- our men or our robots to say, I love you. Okay. I just think it's interesting
0: that <laughs> the, the, the robots that are geared towards men, they talk. And they have brains. They might not say a lot, oh, okay. but they okay. talk, whereas they, they the female say, I creates I a robot
2: no, that no. doesn't talk. They talk no, they, they, they talk and say, I want to feel you inside me. <laughs> hey, Does it's
0: a conversation, hot? though, at least. Come on. Give me, give me a break here. All right. So moving on to uh, more inappropriate behavior with, with uh, technology. Uh, same episode, you go into virtual reality and yeah. um you have an interesting little encounter with some um people and i guess it's like second life or some sort of thing
2: yeah it was i think i'm forgetting the game where we're in some some interesting game where we talk about um behavior in the virtual world and like it, it, and just kind of like when you're behind a screen do you change your behavior do you troll someone whatever um, do things you wouldn't do in, in real life. And the same kind of question applies for the virtual world. And that's kind of what we explored. So I went in and asked a bunch of people around, like, you know, what, have you guys seen bad behavior? What, it, what goes on in here? And someone was like, oh, I see people virtually banging all the time, which are whatever it was. That, you know?
0: dude, that, that, that is another classic. I'm going to play that clip.
1: <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, what's up? Oh, I'm having social anxiety in the virtual world. <laughs> Where are you? I'm in Alabama. You're in Alabama? I'm from Chicago. You're from Chicago. Oh, that's so cool. Have you guys, can I ask you another question? Have you guys ever seen like anything inappropriate happen in in the virtual world? Oh, yeah.
3: No, not so far.
1: definitely Definitely me, yes, me. Okay, the woman says yes. So what kind of inappropriate stuff have you experienced? Probably people virtually banging each other. Oh. We've already seen that when afforded the anonymity of the web, when a person can hide behind a computer, they're more likely to engage in cyberbullying and online harassment.
0: You know, here you have virtual reality, which in itself is supposed to be this place that you escape to. It's, yeah. for all intents and purposes, it's your safe space. And now yeah. they ha- now we're going to have to introduce safe spaces within the safe space. I mean,
2: it's insane. Of course. <laughs> I mean, of course. I mean, but the, isn't this like isn't this like the power of the internet, like to do incredible things. And then also like some pretty terrible stuff happens too. You know, it it makes total sense. Like I, I, one of the episodes we interviewed like Ray Kurzweil, who gives like the whole line on like, you know, technology, um, you know, you can build a home or burrow. I'm forgetting the actual line. It's Ray.
1: Yeah.
0: Yeah. I love how that scene with Ray, it's almost shot like, uh, like a scene from JFK. In San yeah. Francisco, you're sitting on a park bench, and it's like this this clandestine meeting where he's like telling yeah. you, "Look, this is what it's really like on the inside." <laughs> I mean, he's like Look, you've gone futurist. to you've gone so far, Lori. There's no there's no <laughs> turning back. I have to tell you about technology.
2: He's um, a futurist, and he talks about a lot of these things, and he has all these theories on how like we're going to be able to upload the contents of our brain into the cloud eventually, and he's just kind of like this man that you just like when he speaks, you listen. Um, and so we did that whole scene and it, it almost feels like a little bit religious and like, uh, like, a in a weird way. and like, so it, that was, um, that episode is called electric sheep. And that was our last episode we did. We thought it would be a good way to end it. And, and especially cause we were shooting all this stuff and the election happened and we learned about fake news and filter bubbles. And, um, and we started asking ourselves and really questioning our relationship with technology.
0: Technology is power. That's what he yeah. says. Um, yeah, and that episode is, is a lot about artificial intelligence, machine learning, man versus machine. Mm-hmm. And uh, yeah. there's also a fun little uh, part where you are f- so, it re- you reveal you're so addicted to your phone yeah. that <laughs> you have to be put, you try to put yourself on a 15 minute timeout. <laughs> and I know. Um,
2: How but terrible do I come across I'm like the worst
0: <laughs> you torture yourself by putting it on the table in front of you so you oh, know yeah. all you have to do all you, all you have to focus on is the phone and the fact that you're not I using know. it and and there's that meeting you have with the uh, the woman what's her name Sherry. Uh,
2: sherry Turkle,
0: Sherry oh my, oh my god sherry calls you out on having your phone oh out god. and not I using know. it that's another great moment kind of like the Jerry moment where you get called out and <laughs> she's so Oh, right she nails you you know
2: it was actually and i think about that now every single time my phone's on the table so like sherry Turkle has like kind of been at the forefront of like she wrote um, i think it's called alone together she's always written about our relationship with technology and she's like an mit professor she's just like this voice on this kind of stuff we started the interview and i and i put my phone on silent and it's like upside down on the table and she like totally schooled me she was like you know when you have that on there like even though it's off there's a whole other world in there that you can think about. And by having that like on the, on the table, it shows me that our conversation isn't going to be as in depth. It's not going to be as good because there's this whole other device that can take you anywhere you want to go in the world. That could be better. I took the phone off. Like I kind of like, I mean, I was like embarrassed to took the phone off the table and we had a great conversation. You're right. Like part of a lot of these episodes are just like, are these moments where I am kind of, where I do have someone call me out. I mean, and I, and I like that. Like I love, I, I kind of love that. Even, even in, um, you know, one of the interviews I did in the the trick episode or the Junaid Hussein episode that you were in uh, with John Nichols. Like we uh, we had a good chat, but it was a little contentious at times. Like he kept like kept saying, "Oh that God, interviews.
0: that's just because of John. It's just he, John."
2: I mean, but it's all about kind of. I enjoy interviews where people just kind of make me think a little bit differently.
0: In that Junaid Hussein episode. Josh Corman has a line that kind of like puts you on your heels. Why do we think we can protect the software in this car or the software in a hospital?
1: You believe that cyber terrorism will go in this realm, that people like the next tricks will be trying to shut off your brakes or shut down the hospitals.
3: Hospitals look a lot like normal companies. They're using Windows XP, they're using systems that are familiar to someone like Trick, who has the means, motive, and opportunity to use his hacking skills to inflict loss of life.
1: It's crazy that you just kind of basically said, like, hacking can lead to death if we're not careful. Hacking
3: will lead to death. This is where bits and
0: bites meet flesh and blood. It's so dramatic, though, but I love it. It's great. This is where bits and bites meets flesh and blood.
2: such a good line. Oh, <laughs> you know, yeah. It's in, like all of our, it's in all of our promos. Because oh, it's yeah. A good line.
0: It's yeah, but, yeah, that was meant to be a soundbite.
2: I mean, and, but it was a good one, and it also the implications of it are pretty, and you see my face when he says it, because it is, I don't think, I think people do underestimate the power of hacking. People have been underestimating the power of hacking for, like, a very long time, and that is changing because of everything we've seen in the last year or so. But like, I think we're only at the beginning of seeing, you know, what you know, a critical infrastructure hacker, or a hack on a hospital, or so much stuff that we're just scratching the surface. And I do think, you know, we brought up some good points. Like we didn't include so much of like the, you know, trick as a hacker, hacker type uh, in the in the documentary. But I certainly think like that stuff is very, very real and and very interesting.
0: I'm curious about the making of all these episodes. I assume there were there were yes. obstacles and hurdles to to uh, clear <laughs> yeah. that were that you know making any sort of documentary. There's going to be setbacks and stuff. Yeah. And I can imagine you know when you're dealing with hackers and trolls yeah. on the internet, it's <clears throat> it's probably really extra uh, difficult. Totally. Um,
2: well, in that particular episode, you're right. Like the hacker community is very specific. Um, the good news is I did like a whole documentary on it before, so like I know enough really interesting good people who introduce me to folks, and and you know I know people can be a little suspicious at first, but I now kind of have a body of work that people can look at, and you know, and and it helps a lot. Um, and and having me kind of talk to people, but yeah, when we were doing beginning to do the research for like Trick, I had to figure out who knew him who are the people, like, who are, how do we get in touch with them? So, you know, that's always like, I mean, that's the fun part. I love doing that kind of stuff, you know, like the DMs that were happening, the, the weird conversations that were happening, at like weird times of the day. Like, I, you know, I love, I, I think all that kind of stuff is fascinating, but that was really hard. And by the way, getting into a hacker party at Def CON with a camera, oh my God.
0: Yeah, okay. you went to the to the, I know exactly which party you went to. I've, yeah. I've been to it. The uh the Whiskey yeah, Pirate Whiskey party. Pirates. They were
2: so lovely by the way. Like
1: they were really playing about
2: that, it. That
0: that feels like a real hacker party because they've got like old 30 40 year old machines out there and people are like going in typing Unix commands and yes, and so it's, cool. it's it's it's, totally exactly you, it's exactly what it's exactly what you would expect from a hacker party. People hanging I know, out I know. And partying and playing it's, with yeah. computers.
2: And they taught me how to unlock handcuffs. And by the way, I did it very quickly. I feel like maybe I have like a little edge, you know? (laughs) Yeah. Um, I want to take on more cybersecurity stories and hacker stories because I just love the community. Like I'm coming back to DEF CON and, and black hat in August. And I'm like, Oh, I want to, I hope we have season two and I hope I have a good enough story. I am very interested in, you know, the Russian hacking and bots and, and influence and propaganda. I'm very interested in that kind of stuff. But um, I will say that the production, and by the way, like, you know, you see in that episode, I, I kind of get my life threatened door knocking one of these at, at some point.
1: Yeah, yeah.
2: Um, and, you know, that was very much like, we need to put our money where our mouth is. If we're talking all about this guy, like we need to go to his home and we need to try to get his parents to talk to yeah, us. Yeah, you need to, need to be prepared. You
0: him. need to be prepared to die.
2: <laughs> exactly. Which at one point there was like a little bit of a question, but it was fine. He only threatened me. And I had to run to the car immediately and we had to speed off. But Wait, that okay, was so fine. who
0: who was that? Were those people that were actually related to Junaid? So or
2: we had we had a couple addresses that we, we were able to pull up that were associated with him, with Junaid and his family. So that was one of them. Um and that was one of the first you know, we went to this one of the first ones we stopped at. Um and so it's unclear exactly who it was, whether it was like his immediate family or not. Um, I did, but, but when we were out there, like the, the puzzle pieces began to kind of like fit together a little bit. One woman, an elderly woman, you hear her say, Oh, Janae Hussein, like, you know, my son or something, you know? So there was definitely like, there was a knowledge and, and whatnot. We didn't get as far as to find out who they were because, um, I had someone tell me he was going to smash my effing face in. Yeah. Um, so had to get out of there immediately.
0: I was sensing a little bit of hostility in that scene too.
2: Yeah, that wasn't, it wasn't like, it wasn't, we didn't have the feels on that one, but um, when we later found, you know, knocked on another door and we found out, we found where he actually grew up and where he lived and we had it confirmed by neighbors and, and that was probably the hardest episode we had to put together. It was really, really difficult to put that together because there's so many moving pieces and Jenae's story isn't easy. There's like, you couldn't do like a two hour documentary on him. Like yeah. you didn't even get in his wife, like Sally Jones, like we didn't even get in all that. But like, oh, I know. I was going to say
0: you, you never touched on the radicalization uh, via his wife or girlfriend, yeah, right?
2: No, you know, we, and it was like, we, by the way, I called, I definitely called uh, her. I mean, that was part of the reporting. Like I, I definitely called, uh, I believe it was probably her father or her brother or something. who also threatened me. We didn't, we just didn't get that on camera, but you know, there was there was a lot that you didn't see, um, and she's a, a fug- lot- is
0: is she a fugitive still? I think.
2: Yeah, she's still out there. That's that's um, wild. But, you know, there's like a lot you didn't see, but there's a lot you did, and a lot that was packed in. So we had to figure out, and that's the hardest part of what we do too is like figuring out, you know, what where do we kind of tell the story? What part of the story do we tell? Um, and I really wanted that kind of hacker community. What happened? At, you know, I really wanted that that part had we of course gotten sally's father who or whoever it was that threatened me i was actually kind of scared to call back like um you know it would have been different
0: that guy tabernacle
2: the rapper
0: who's in the junaid hussein trick Uh episode that guy seems really intense
3: music gave me something i came from nothing the guy who has nothing he can relate to me because he thinks you know what i feel what you feel i got nothing as well. Trick
1: and Tabernacle were friendly. When Tabernacle made a music video for the hacking group Anonymous, Junaid made a cameo. Trick loved your music. You yeah. really liked your music. What do you think it was about your music, Trick, like?
3: When he was looking at my music and maybe thinking, I'm frustrated, no one's helping me, no one's helping my people. What am I going to do about it? I need to go and help them. I need to do something. It's easy to be swayed in this world.
1: What do you mean? I believe
3: these people got manipulated. They didn't know what they were getting into. And then when they got into it, it was way, way far too gone. And the next thing I know, I'm hearing he's in Syria. Do you know what I mean? I didn't even know. Like, how how can you even comprehend that like yeah, I, was, I was
1: about to say how do you negotiate something you like just that?
3: telling him he's an idiot and that's all i did tell him like what what are you doing bro you're an idiot what are you doing over there like is that
0: guy always yelling i i feel like is he yeah. hard of is he hard of hearing from just wearing <laughs> blasting music in his headphones too much like he's 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 he's, in, he's insane he was so great
2: i just like i love tabernacle I just thought like you know, so he, like, for context, it's like, you know, this guy who, you know, goes from kind of hacking to being a terrorist, like, really likes this one guy's rap music, and Tabernacle was the guy, and he always kind of rapped about the disenfranchised, and, and we were, and he actually met Janaid, and so we're like, oh, we need to go find Tabernacle, and by the way, none of these people were easy to put on camera. Like, it, it took a lot of convincing, even, to, to get Tabernacle on camera, um, but yeah, he was he was all sorts of intense, um, but you know, I, maybe I, I just love intense people. I just thought he was so crazy, interesting, and yes, he was like kind of yelling at me half the time. But like, I was like kind of okay, you know. It was just, and I just kind of, you just kind of have to like not yell back, but like keep up. I think part of it was just, like you just got to keep up, and like we wanted him. He was—he's actually—I really enjoy. Like side note, I actually really like his music. I think his music is like very like underground rap like hip-hop it's really cool and like we're in like an alleyway in london and he's like rapping his song about the disenfranchised and i was like i was like i feel like i'm like like the in a in a rap video and i need to get out of the shot immediately but our producer wouldn't let me get out of the shot she's like stay there just stay there
0: yeah. Another um, example he, of of you being put in an uncomfortable situation. I could sit here, I could seriously, I have so many notes and so many questions. I could sit here and talk to you for like a two more hours about this. <laughs> but I won't. Um you you're talking about your persistence in uh putting these stories together and one yeah. the episode that you show your most pers- persistence on camera, I I believe, is the the episode on the Ashley Madison leak where you're trying to get in touch with former employees or current employees, I guess, of the Ashley Madison company.
2: Yeah. Part of this episode was looking at like Ashley Madison and life after the hack, like what's the human impact of the hack and what also like happened at the company. Um, and what was interesting is like, we, I started digging in and like there was like something going on, you know, I couldn't, people were afraid to speak. People were being threatened if they spoke to me Um, I had one person who really wanted to talk, but, um, they were threatened with, you know, by the legal team over there. So, you know, it was, you know, you know, you're onto something when like, there's a lot of fear of speaking about something openly or honestly. And my whole thing was like, okay, this company was hacked and like, they had a lot of dirty laundry and we saw it all. Like we saw it in the leaked documents. Like, what is there still to hide? Like I I didn't, I, I was just trying to answer that question and what really went on. Um, you know, at this company, and you know, we were told that back when we were first starting. And I, and I, you know, I didn't want this to be a, you know, we're bashing Ashley Madison thing. I really wanted a fair portrayal of Ashley Madison, and and so I, I very much prioritized saying, okay, like I'd love to speak to the new CEO and the executives there. We can even we'll come out there to Toronto. We'll. We'll talk about. They've rebranded themselves. Well, really, we'll do this. And and all of a sudden, when we started digging, and we, you know, and former employees were telling us all this stuff, and then they were being threatened. And one or two of them said they were worried about their physical safety, which is kind of crazy, um, you know. And I don't know if it was just paranoia, but the fact that multiple people were saying that that's a little bit strange to me. Um, all of a sudden, you know, the the offer for the CEO um, went away, and, and it wasn't even there was no reasoning or anything like that. And we were getting stonewalled. Like, we were completely getting stonewalled. So, um, you know, so part of, you know, part of what I did and was call up. I mean, it was kind of crazy. We just called the switchboard for Ashley Madison where you can just, like, type in someone's name. And I typed in his, the CEO's last name, and it connected me directly to him. So even though he didn't really want to do the interview, we um, we were able to get him on the phone for a couple minutes before he got off. Um you no, know, and then we were, you know, so so it was very much like really trying to um, trying to find out what happened and just cold calling people and and really trying to get someone to speak and and it was hard to you know people were afraid to talk um, so that was that was this whole other part of it. I mean, part of the episode is really looking at the human impact of the hack, and then and then part of the episode is really doing an investigation into like you know what's going on now, where's the company now, and and you know who's hiding and why are they hiding and what are you know what's the story so it's kind of a you know you get all different types of parts from that episode and that was definitely um you know the most you'll see me because by the way i make those calls all the time we just don't always see them on camera
0: for those who don't who aren't familiar it's a website for cheaters people who cheat on their spouses this uh database of 36 million users was dumped yeah. on the internet and had uh, you know people's personal information, their sexual proclivities, and yeah. everything out there. It re- it uh, re- resulted in a few suicides, yeah. and you spoke with one of the uh, spouses, a, a widow yeah. of uh, one of the deceased.
2: Yeah, and it was, um, and I remember because I had been covering Ashley Madison and the hack on TV in 2015. I was on every day talking about it and. And I remember thinking, like, we're missing something. Like, you know, we are not humanizing this. Like, people don't have sympathy for the people on this list. And, you know, and this is where I think the most interesting stories are. It's, it's nuanced, right? Like, yeah, it's hard to have sympathy for someone who's trying to cheat on their significant other or whatever it is. You know, that being said, like, this is such a, this is such a violating act. And there were so many families impacted by this. And, and it almost became like this scarlet letter, like, People were coming up to me because I had access to the list being like, hey, can you let me know if so-and-so is on the list? I'm like, oh, my God. And so I ended up talking to a woman at the time and getting her to tell her story. She's having a terrible week. She found out her husband was on a site for people looking for an affair. And the way she found out was she found him dead with a suicide note. And, and, And so she got on camera with me and she talked about, you know, how we're not your water cooler gossip and, and, and you know, to, to and about forgiveness and all the stuff that she had like this incredible amount of courage and to go out and and say this publicly. So, uh, you know, as part of the episode, I wanted to follow up with her and see like what, what does life look like after the hack and after the death of her husband, um, who was a pastor. I mean, and, and so it was just like, you know, it was really interesting to actually get to follow up and get to go back and and look at like, you know, she talks about how the second year is the hardest, and she talks about how the hack kind of, like, blew up the whole family, but really what blew up the whole family was secrecy and anonymity and the ability to kind of, like, you know, uh, tell to put this stuff out there. And, and what I wanted to do with the Ashley Madison story is also look at, like, human nature and monogamy um, and and all these things that we don't talk about. Like, are people happy in their marriages and, and will – and and do people – at what point do people cheat? And, and all these, like – and and kind of studying bad behavior and how like Ashley Madison was also able to capitalize on the fact that like as human beings, we're not good or bad. We're all somewhere in between. Like they were actually able, they knew that there's studies that show that if you were away on business, you're more likely, you're more likely to cheat. So if you were browsing from a a place, not like your home, it would potentially serve you up an Ashley Madison ad. Um, And they knew that like, you know, that, Sometimes if men strike out of the weekend, they're more likely to cheat on Mondays. So there might be more ads on Mondays. And like, and that data, kind of you that that's used every day, you know, for maybe the same data that's used to kind of sell a shirt, being used to target us psychologically, is really fascinating to me. So the, the episode covers like quite you know quite a bit of like ethical questioning and and that kind of stuff, but. You mentioned Sarah from Cougar Life. She was quite the character as well. We got to meet a lot of interesting people in the process of this.
0: Man, I wish when I was when I was a young buck, they had a Cougar Life. <laughs> oh man! Did at any point when you were talking to these people who had who had um, uh, loved ones perish? Did you ever say ask them about? Um, being a legacy contact or developing a, a, did you ever try to cross the streams of episodes and say like, no. well, hell there, you know, Hey, you know what? Yeah. Have you thought about yeah. making a chat bot out, out of your husband?
2: I did not do that. I, you know, I, I, I feel like I, I, definitely did not do that. Um, and by the way, like having made a chat bot out of myself, I don't think we really covered this. Like I definitely made a chat bot in the death, in the death episode out of me. We made a Lori bot. And, the, and it was, like, potentially the scariest experience in my life because the Loribot was, like, not that nice. The Loribot, like, was a little bit, kind of was me on my worst days, I think. So I, I, I would say for anyone who listens to this, and once I go create a chatbot uh, based on their whole, like, digital stuff, just remember that it captures the good and the bad, you know? <laughs> you can't really edit it. And
0: it also tries to improvise as well. Um, yeah. The, the part where the question is, what's the meaning of life? Oh, and stop. the answer is,
2: <laughs> I bot responded doing mushrooms and dating a lot. Okay. I would like to clear that up because so like, imagine this, like we create this bot out of me and it's like, it has some of my deepest fears and it's like, and it texts like me, like it'll message people like in rapid fire, which is how I text message. And like, and it, it very much had like a lot of the things that like feel very glory. Um, and it was texted, like, on camera. They were texting, and they are like, what's the meaning of life? And my bot responds, like, doing mushrooms and dating a lot. And I was Which like, is oh, correct. I don't think the meaning of life is doing mushrooms and dating a lot, although I don't judge either. I just That's not a me thing. I know where that came from. That came from um, a friend. Uh, one of my good friends went to Burning Man a couple of years ago, and she was recently single, and we made, like, some jokes. But But this is where the algorithm is kind of crazy. Like, so it picked up that and then it like responded as if like, that's what I thought the meaning of life was. That was like a joke that we had joked about a couple of years ago, but that's where like the text could be like a little bit weird. And I think I'm probably just making up this intricate story to, to show you that like, I don't, that that's not what I, yeah, think the it of is pretty int- You
0: thought this out. That's impressive. You
2: know? <laughs> like, Oh, and it was totally out of context. So,
0: okay. I'm curious about the, the production itself. Yeah. Um, the, now was everything, if it feels to me that things were not shot sequentially, is that, is that fair and accurate?
2: Yes, that is fair and accurate. We didn't shoot like, we also, we didn't shoot like one episode at a time we shot. I mean, this is why it was so crazy. We shot six episodes at the same time. So we'd be in London and we'd be shooting different parts of different episodes or we'd be in San Francisco and we'd be shooting, uh, an interview for one episode and another interview for another episode.
0: Yeah. The Bay area, uh, factors into this pretty heavily. I, I think pretty yeah. much every, almost every episode has somebody exactly. in the Bay area.
2: Given the fact that like the backbone of this, even though it's a story, it's like a documentary series about humanity, like technology is the backbone. We are constantly in San Francisco. Um, but therefore like we couldn't constantly go to San Francisco every, you know, every couple days, but we would try to pack a lot in, um, I think at one point we were, you know, we were doing, like, we had, like, eight shoots in, in, like, five days or something, and every one was, like, a different episode. It was it was very intense. We were doing, you know, the depression episode and then the virtual harassment uh, one, all, all that kind of stuff in one trip. But, you know, you kind of get, you want to, you you know, for me, I want to get as much in there as we can uh, under certain budget. So that's kind of how we, you know, we don't want to just, at so, uh, once every couple of weeks or something so we want to be able to like, just pack
0: as much in the production itself the the cinematography yeah. um the editing the pacing the the soundtrack the music is really great too uh i yeah. like i like how it all came together and there's definitely sort of a stylistic flair to it it's yeah. you know, there's like that slow yeah. slow shots of you like yeah, walking really through a graveyard
2: yeah <laughs> I wish I could take credit for it. We we actually worked with a production company called BFD. Um, this is one of the larger projects they've worked on, too. And, and they are, when I say talented, I mean, they are so talented. Whereas, like, I think my strengths are editorial and, you know, finding people that might not want to talk and get them to talk to me and, and interviewing people. I had uh, a group of, like, really, really talented, uh, almost, I mean, cinematographers, like, it was very much, like, some of them, uh, one of the guys, Hal, actually composes his own music. So a lot of the music was actually created for the show, um, and the way they shot these things—it was unlike. It was, it was really cool. I mean, and you saw it, right? When we did our interview um, at that at that kind of old pool bar in um, in Las Vegas, like yeah. they picked these locations that seem very cinematic. Um, they pick these incredible locations. They shoot in a certain style. The pacing, everything is so well thought out. And even like some of the drone shots that take you from one place to the next.
0: Yeah. uh, There's some epic drone shots in in this series for sure.
2: Yeah. It was in the, in the time lapses. I mean, it really, you know, we wanted it to feel more like a film than like a traditional news package. Like, you know, the idea is to make it feel more bourdain than, you know, uh, a very traditional kind of documentary. We wanted it to kind of be, it, we wanted it to be a lot more personal, but they—I can't take credit for that. I mean, they were pretty unbelievable and and doing some of that production, and I think you can see it. Which it, which you know, I think that people respond to that as much as they do the stories, which is really cool.
0: Yeah. Okay. Um, let's see what else. Uh, the, the going back to the electric sheep episode, uh-huh. um, you touch on these uh, Trump mind readers. This micro targeting influence campaign that was allegedly launched during the election by this outlet called Cambridge Analytica
2: you know I mean people started talking about them a little bit and and there's questions of how influential were they but the whole idea behind what they were using are like psychometrics and being able to really know a lot about you by kind of like your social graph and like and this is what was really interesting there was like you can tell um, you know, and we spoke to we spoke to a guy who was kind of like the godfather of like coming up talking about psychometrics, which is this this idea that like we have like five personality traits, like how agreeable are you? or you know all these different things that kind of make up our personality. And you know, through Facebook and social media and all this stuff, it can be extracted, right? So like it's a different type of targeting. So could you be targeted? Um, you know, not based on your age or your demographic, but by on how agreeable you are or whatever the other personality trait. And that's, like, really interesting. So are you seeing a message in front of you? And did this happen or not, right? Like, are you seeing a message in front of you that was catered to you because you're, you know, a white female who lives in the suburbs? Are you seeing a message that's catered to you um, because they've been able to date, use data points to understand that you'll respond to a message that incites fear um, or you'll respond to a message uh that, you know, actually promotes, like, togetherness, like, just based on your personality and, like, are you kind of paranoid, all this stuff. So, you know, that was just really interesting, and, and how far is too far? Like, you know, are should we be targeted like that? And, and so that's a question we ask, and, and so this company said they worked with um, – the Trump campaign, and we're able to kind of use psychometrics. And you see in this video, like they said it themselves, so to be able to target voters, to so show them different messages uh, based on, you know, based on their personality types rather than their demographic. And and then there's the ethical question of, are you seeing a, an ad? And this is the whole theme of electric cheap, which is like our algorithm's already controlling us and we don't even know it. Like, are you seeing an ad targeted to you based on, like, who you are intrinsically as a human being and, like, your fears? Or are you just seeing an ad because, like, you kind of check off some boxes and, and targeting is only going to get better? And, and, and how should we target people? Like, and what if we target people and incite fear and get them to not go out and vote? Is that ethical? So those are all the questions we kind of ask in this, uh, in this episode. And, and Electric Sheep, like, the premise of it, I actually kind of got, like, the thesis of it when I was at dinner, another dinner at Silicon Valley, and I was talking to – um a pretty influential like uh vc i know there and he was and i was talking about the singularity like you know when humans and machines kind of come together and you know all this stuff and he was like well he's like there's talk here that we've already entered the singularity and that uh machines already control us and we don't even know it and i thought that was an interesting statement um and and that's why as part of electric chief you see you see me kind of look at how algorithms control us and we didn't know it. Like for example, fake news. Um, you know, AI, artificial intelligence, uh, Facebook, you know, is op- was optimizing for a very long time for users. If a story's doing well, optimize it so users will see more of it. Like this is the viral quality of Facebook. But it you know, it didn't have ethics put it in. So it didn't know, okay, if a story's blatantly false and spreading fake news, like we've got to, you know, that it should you know it should correct itself. And so all of a sudden you have all this stuff being spread and you have like AI and the algorithm spreading it. And then now all of a sudden we have someone in Pizzagate happen, you know? So there are all these really interesting questions around like the algorithms and, and you know, how in control are we and, and what's the impact that we don't even really know yet. So that's all kind of part of it. And that goes off of what you were talking about uh, with Cambridge Analytica and psychometrics.
0: Yeah. Um, so, I think after watching all these episodes and talking to you and piecing everything together, I think I've figured something out. Uh-oh. Your boyfriend is a robot. <laughs> Look at the the whole the whole picture here. You went you figured out how to how to manufacture dolls uh, sorry, love dolls. Um, you, you dipped into virtual reality, um, artificial intelligence. Um, I think it's pretty obvious that this all culminated in you getting a robot boyfriend. Is that true?
2: No, I don't think Brian's a robot, but that's like to be determined. Who knows? I mean, I could be a robot. That could be like the big reveal Like the reveal at the end is that like I could be a robot? Oh no!
0: There's shades of uh, Blade Runner here. Like you basically (laughs) have all all the the makings here in this whole series of of creating a replicant. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. You just you you trolled CNN. You trolled CNN into manufacturing a boyfriend for you. That's brilliant brilliant work that
2: would be kind of brilliant
0: speaking of being trolled did anybody troll you in trying to put together this episode but i i gotta believe reaching out to all these different hackers somebody had because i i've heard stories of hackers and trolls uh messing with mm-hmm. journalists did anything like that happen
2: um I, look i've been trolled before um maybe not specifically for this but i've certainly been trolled before um yeah, I mean it's definitely happened to me, and I think it's maybe it's part of like you know putting yourself in that community a little bit. Um, but as many people, I've met many more people that I find that I find fascinating and interesting who don't troll me. But yeah, you know, I, I guess it's kind of part of the part of the business a little bit, and part of the game, and especially if you're going to play in these kind of communities. Um, I'm always looking for interesting, fascinating stories that fall into that gray area. So the idea for the, the series is to make you think and also explore the gray area of technology and, and humanity and, and look at things in a more nuanced way.
0: And it's Mostly Human with Lori Siegel. Mm-hmm. It's a six-part investigative docu-series exploring sex, love, death, and humanity through the lens of tech. It's available online at CNN Go.
2: You know, the best experience, I would say, is to to watch it on Apple TV or Roku or if you have any kind of you'll have seen and go the app and you can watch it there. Um, Or you can just go to Mostly Human Complete Season on uh, on desktop and you can find all of it. But it's much more fun to watch it on on the television. But you can easily get it online, too, just by looking at Mostly Human Complete Season.
0: What's next for you? Are there there are you working on anything currently, or are you looking forward to developing a new another season of this?
2: You know, I hope we do another season. I think I'm looking for good ideas for another season, but I also think like the brand of mostly human can expand a little bit. I love getting people to talk about the human side of these things. So even if it's we do one offs and we do. Um, you know, we find these kind of mostly human stories. Like you get the feel of what mostly human means by watching the series. So if we can continue doing that, whether it's uh, in smaller stories and articles and podcasts and whatever it is, we'll keep doing that and keep asking these ethical, interesting questions um, and bringing in voices that are best for that. I think, you know, that's immediate. But season two, I'm i I'm already kind of brainstorming for, for different ideas. So hopefully we'll be able to do that too.
0: Awesome. And Laurie, if people want to stalk you online what's your twitter handle
2: it's at laurie siegel cnn so at CNN.
0: definitely find her and find mostly human on yeah. cnn go apple tv roku amazon fire and android tv and also bazillion apps and all that stuff Yay. Uh, thank you, you, you so much, Lori. I really appreciate you uh, taking the time to, to speak with me about this series. I'm really stoked on it, and uh, I look forward to, right. to s- seeing more work from you in the future.
2: Thank you. And thanks for being a part of it. I hope everyone comes to see it too. And they'll see you in there
0: too. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. That's right. I make an appearance. I have a cameo.
2: Any reason you should watch it. It's also to see you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you exactly folks. I'm in this series. It's worth it for that alone.
2: Exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And thank you for
0: including me in it. That was, I I was really honored to be part of it and I got a lot of good feedback from it as well from, from other folks. So, oh, so yeah, great, great job.
2: Thank you so much. And thanks for having me on. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of the Vince in the Bay podcast. You can listen to previous episodes by visiting my blog. It's at com, and also subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher and SoundCloud. And don't forget to follow me on Twitter. It's twitter.com slash Vince in the Bay. Until next time, ciao.